Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Last week was very good in financial markets with almost all asset classes up except for oil. Joining us today to talk about the factors that drove this latest stage of the market rally and what that means for the near-term outlook. Glad to welcome back the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. So with that, Jason, welcome back. Thank you for joining us here on a Monday morning. Uh, looking forward to our conversation. Good morning, Dan. Happy Monday of this holiday shortened week. Good to be here. So, Jason, as we get started, I do want to highlight how you did touch on these topics I cited within your latest blog. Title is Side Dishes, which is a nice nod to the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. taking place later this week. So first up on the economic data, Jason, what was the positive news on inflation? What exactly about the data was positive and why was it so good for the markets? Well, there was concern going into the inflation numbers for October that they would be elevated. Uh, and they get sort of surprised to the upside. And this is due to some stickiness we've seen in like non-shelter uh, core services. Uh, you know, the, we, we see some sort of one-off increases. And we've saw since kind of the late summer, early fall, like with September, you know, August as well, that inflation improvement was sort of stalling out to some extent. So the consensus expectation was around 0.3% on a month-over-month basis for core CPI with a risk skewed to the upside. Uh, instead, it came in around 0.2% uh, on a month-over-month basis, 4% year-over-year. This is, again, core CPI. Uh, both were, were kind of down and sort of below expectations. The headline number month-over-month was flat, benefiting from a, fire, a lower gas prices in October, and the year-over-year reading was 3.2%. Uh, if we look at various measures of, uh, you know, that the, the market's kind of most focused on, the Fed is most focused on, you know, such as the core services, the shelter, ex- shelter inflation, something we call like super core. On a year-over-year basis, that's down to 3.7%. It continues to trend lower. And then the shelter inflation, at least in terms of leading indicators of, of rent, but also suggest that it is also kind of coming down. Then you factor in labor market cooling and wage growth cooling. It all indicates that disinflation is, is on track. That wasn't necessarily, you know, the case. This confidence in that wasn't in the marketplace, you know, wasn't elevated or high going into the print. And the thought was Q4 could be a little bit sticky. Uh, and the inflation print last week alleviated that, especially also on the next day, we got PPI data, the producer price index, that was also below expectations. <clears throat> so really, this was better than the markets were certainly fearing. Uh, and already the thought, the thought was the Fed perhaps wouldn't hike in December, but this basically took a, another hike off the table. The, the market is now pricing a 0% probability of another hike in December or, frankly, another hike at all. The market reaction to the news kind of reflects that. The Fed is kind of you know, done, at least in the minds of the market. We saw Treasury yields across the entire curve decline 20 basis points or slightly more, whether it's a two-year or the 10-year, on Tuesday after the CPI information came out. Uh, equities rallied. The S&P was up almost 2%, but parts of the market, like the Russell 2000, was up 5.5%. So these really, really large moves indicate that investors were, again, not prepared for this kind of inflation data print. Uh, they were kind of worried about kind of late cycle concerns. The economy is overheating. The Fed has to do more. And this inflation data uh, you know, gives you know, some reprieve in that fact the Fed can be done. And then the question really pivots to 2024 in terms of when could the Fed potentially cut. Uh, and that's really kind of why it matters. If you look at the markets this year, what's really driven it is sort of disinflation. When if inflation has been falling steadily and investors are confident that's going to continue, we've seen you know, equities rally, 
uh, especially when growth is holding up quite well. But even when we've had periods of time where growth is too strong uh, with the disinflation, we've actually seen equities kind of pull back because of concerns about inflation reaccelerating. So really, I think it's been a, a disinflation narrative this year that's really been driving things. You know, and that ultimately matters because if you get steady disinflation, it means the Fed can stop hiking and ultimately next year, you know, start to cut rates. And that's the ultimate sort of market driver if the Fed is cutting interest rates uh, you know, next year. And so that was really all that's kind of encapsulated by what happened in the markets on Tuesday and even really for the rest of the week in terms of the residual implications of the Fed being done. Investors not really positioned fully for the implications of even rate cuts potentially happen earlier in 24 than what was presumed just even a few weeks ago. So, Jason, outside of the economic data, namely the inflation prints, just reading further into your blog, you highlight that other policy events last week were positive for the market. So what else contributed to the momentum we witnessed last week? Uh, well, the two of them were the uh, for the U.S. government reaching a continued resolution to fund the government into early next year. Uh, fund, parts of the government will be funded until January 19th, other parts until February 2nd. What it means is that we avoided a shutdown. This is sort of anticipated, but it was nice to actually kind of get that, certainly before the holidays, not to have to deal with, you know, the possibility of a government shutdown. And then there was the meeting between Presidents uh, Biden and Xi of China. Uh, there were some modest successes, you know, some you know, announcements on you know, climate change. And there seemed to be an overall tone of trying to de-escalate, you know, some of the tensions. So those are, you know, relative to inflation, not nearly as important. But again, sort of nice things to have that are avoiding risk events that could have you know, disrupted some of the other positive narratives in the market last week. But these positives from the policy front, whether it's fiscal, geopolitics, you know, I think they're unlikely to last. You know, this is the second time now we've had the proverbial can kick down the road on the fiscal front. Something, again, will have to be done in terms of early 2023 to fund the government for the full fiscal year, which began October 1st. Uh, without the holidays, you know, being sort of a, you know, an kind of motivation to get a deal done, at least temporarily for now. I think there's definitely a greater chance that the governments could end up shutting down, at least for a little bit of a period of time, you know, in the early new year. And that just would sort of set the tone of how much the fiscal situation, the political situation in the U.S. in an election year could be a source of uncertainty for the markets. And then, well, there was, I guess, you know, sort of you know, a positive takeaway, roughly speaking, from the Biden and Xi meetings. There's not enough that what happened is you could say this has clearly changed the trend towards increasing confrontation between the two company, countries. And next year, during a presidential year, China certainly could become a scapegoat, uh, you know, if anything is kind of going wrong on the political front, on the, you know, the policy front. So I think this is a, a pause. It isn't necessarily a complete reset. So I think we should, you know, they're, they're good for the markets for this point in time for the rest of this year. But I think it's not something that you can extrapolate beyond for the next you know, six you know, to eight weeks into early next year. So running with that a bit, Jason, as you mentioned, it's hard to believe, though, as we look forward exactly six weeks to go until the end of 2023, you do cite that the deck has been mostly cleared of risk events until year end. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, we took the fiscal situation off the table. Uh, that, that's a problem for early 2024. The inflation data last week basically took the Fed off the table for a uh, December hike and probably for good in terms of hiking. So that removes one risk event. And even if the November inflation isn't quite as good or as encouraging as we got for, uh, it is very unlikely to change sort of the market's you know, perceptions in terms of what the Fed is going to be doing because, again, the general trajectory is for inflation to continue to come down. So even waiting for more inflation data, that becomes less of an event risk of like in terms of what it can mean for the markets, because now it's really maybe just how soon the Fed could cut next year. Uh, on the growth front, 
the two data points that really matter at this point are the labor market and the consumer. And so therefore we'd look for a November payrolls report, which it doesn't come out until uh, December 8th. And then the following week we get retail sales, gives an indication of how the consumer is holding up. We could continue to see some moderation of the labor market and also these questions about whether the consumer is starting to, to crack. Uh, barring some fall off and, and dramatically of both data points, it'll be continuing with a sort of trend of some softening data further give the Fed reason not to, to hike and even start to think about cuts next year. Um, and even if the data is really weak, there's a chance that investors could kind of look through it and say, let's wait until we get into January to get a full read of the December data, how the holiday season ultimately turned out before we draw any conclusions on the growth front. So the growth data will be watched, but it may not be that impactful for the markets overall. So really what it means is the macro news and growth inflation should be somewhat uneventful for the markets here because of where the Fed is at this point in time. The policy, fiscal, even geopolitics could be relatively quiet. Uh, there could be some idiosyncratic stories on uh, you know, corporate earnings. Uh, certainly the situation with you know, the Treasury issuing you know, uh, new Treasuries. The auctions are now closely watched, including one this week. Again, that shouldn't be a major market mover. So these are kind of relatively minor speed bumps. So overall, it looks like there's not a lot that we can point to that's a clear known risk event or that investors are going to be focused on. There's always the possibility of escalations in you know, the Israel-Hamas war uh, and other geopolitical events. But from what we can see on the calendar, there's not a lot there. Uh, so that's you know, going into the, the Thanksgiving holiday, but even into year-end, that's sort of a nice thing to think that there's not necessarily things that we really have to be obsessed with with investors between now and the end of the year and six weeks from now. So just against that backdrop, Jason, taking into account the activity we witnessed last week, the upward momentum in equity markets, what is your outlook? Well, with the generally favorable macro conditions, temporarily muted to policy risks until next year and a relatively quiet event calendar, the path to least resistance for equities, at least, and other risk assets is to kind of go higher into year end. Uh, it's often the case that sort of no news for the markets is good news. Uh, they can just keep growing higher, especially if the momentum is in, the, in a favorable direction and we have sort of positive seasonal dynamics at this time of year. But I'd caveat that by saying a lot of good news is already priced in for good news on inflation, you know, expectations kind of for a soft landing. It's certainly reflected in the equities and credit spreads. Uh, also, investors might be reluctant to chase the rally at this point in time. The S&P 500 is up 10% or almost 10% in three weeks. And it's less than 2% from its high earlier in the summer, kind of the year-to-date high. So not necessarily a lot of upside that investors would be want to chase into year-end and then have some sort of risk event earlier next year to kind of disrupt that. Uh, so I think that's you know, also important to keep in mind that, you know, this is a year when the market narratives kind of toggling between soft landing, hard landing, rates going higher, rates going lower. Every couple of months, it feels like it's flipped. Um, and already just in the past six weeks, we've had – a lot of pessimism, and then it sort of quickly reversed into more optimism. You know, it's possible this could flip again by before the year end. You know, I think it'd be dangerous to rule that that possibility out. Um, but I think what we can probably get is you know somewhat relative market you know, tranquility, certainly for for this week and, and maybe through year end. Uh, but beyond that, because of those sort of the uncertainties, because there's still questions about you know how much the economy could slow down, and the valuations for a lot of asset classes are relatively rich. A general message we have as part of our year ahead outlook is just to buy quality buy quality bonds, uh, and buy kind of quality equities. Certainly we've had investors and clients and FAs ask me, is now the time to be buying the bonds? They've been seeing a lot of cash. And given where we've seen with rates probably peaked out for the cycle, they may drift a little bit higher. The uncertainty of trying to get timing perfect, 
and the direction of travel is probably lower from here, that this is a good time to be buying high-quality bonds, even more so than kind of buying quality equities. You just given how much equities have already rallied you know, very recently. Well, Jason, thank you for dropping by top of the morning today to provide our listeners with helpings of market insights and positioning guidance as we're looking ahead to the Thanksgiving holiday later this week. Great catching up with you as always, and do look forward to picking back up with our conversation next Monday. Well, thank you, Dan, and, and hopefully you have a fantastic you know, Thanksgiving, and to you and to all our listeners as well. Have a safe holiday season. Hopefully the travel goes smoothly and, and have a you know, good time eating the side dishes on Thursday. <laughs> Absolutely. Jason, thank you for that. I definitely echo Jason's sentiments there. And again, I do want to highlight Jason's blog, which we have been referencing during our conversation today, that title, Side Dishes, which is available up on UBS.com slash CIO for clients of UBS. Of course, reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's blog directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.